chronic food shortages, not enough medical supplies, fatal street protests, allegations of rigged voting, hundreds of political prisoners in custody. We've seen with our own eyes those watching Venezuela, evidence of members of the opposition being bundled into custody, even in their pyjamas in the night. Let's address the ongoing Venezuela crisis now and how citizens might be able to respond when they live in a country in which a democratically elected leader could be taking them down a path to dictatorship. First, Mr. Phil Conso, senior analyst at the International Crisis Group, joining us from Caracas, the capital city of Venezuela. Good to have you on the line. Thank you very much. Well, thank you for joining us. So, um, it was back on July 30th, just a few days ago, an election for a new constituent assembly, seen as being an attempt to take the country towards the dictatorship that many fear here. Um, security forces pointing their weapons at demonstrators in photos. What is the situation like there now? Well, it's tense because the election on Sunday was... Uh basically a bid by the government to concentrate even more power in its hands. It was already acting in an extremely authoritarian manner, but this new assembly, which will have only uh, pro-government members, is all-powerful. There are no limits on what it can do or how long it will stay in power. Um, and that's due to be installed uh, tomorrow, Friday, our, our time here, here in Caracas. The opposition is planning to stage a big demonstration against it. And as you said, there has been considerable violence in the protests over the last four months. About 120 people have died. So uh, even aside from the dreadful social and economic situation, uh, the politics here is getting extremely tense. As I said, though, the members of the opposition, the leaders, in fact, Leopoldo Lopez and Antonio Ledesma, just after that um, vote, they were again arrested. How are That's ordinary right. they, people they, responding? They had been transferred to, to house arrest. Both of them um, had been tried on, on completely trumped-up charges um, and had been in jail. They were both at different times transferred to house arrest, and the re-arrest or I suppose you could call it re-arrest, re they were sent back to a military jail. They've been incommunicado ever since. Uh, and, of course, that's done nothing to ease tensions either. No. Neither is this. The CEO of the voting machine company Smartmatic revealing the results of that vote off by at least a million, which could mean it was rigged. What are your thoughts on that allegation of fraud? Yes, I mean, it seems pretty obvious from a whole bunch of different sources, not just um, that very compelling testimony from the CEO of the, of the company that uh, operates the, the, the voting machines, but also uh, leaked data published by the Reuters news agency, which suggests that the true figure, the true turnout was about half of what the government suggested. The government said that around 40, 41% of the electorate showed up, about eight, eight and a bit million people. Um, the Reuters story suggests that that could be well under four million people. And, of course, what this suggests in a country with 20 million voters is that, as, as, as we already knew from polls and, and from other evidence, that the government is, a, is in a tiny minority and really nobody wants, or very few people, want this constituent assembly. And they don't believe that rewriting the Constitution or installing an all-powerful assembly is going to fix the country's basic problems. Well, just to elaborate a little further, we got in touch with Smartmatic ourselves. We got this email response saying 
this is exactly what happened. The system shows one turnout number at the national tally and the election commission announced a different number. The detection was possible because the system is designed to make evident any manipulation. In manual elections in many countries, there are similar manipulations, but because of the lack of electronic security and auditing safeguards, they go unnoticed. I mean, do you fear, Mr. Conso, th- these are the last throws of free speech that we're hearing here and that we could be heading into a, a North Korea-like situation? Is that really as dramatic as it is? Well, I hope we won't go quite as far as, as North Korea, but certainly free speech has been drastically reduced in recent years. The government has closed down many independent TV and radio stations. It's persecuted the written press, denying them uh, newsprint to publish with. Um, people, journalists have even been jailed for their activities. The president the other day suggested that... Uh, People putting out tweets against this new constituent assembly should be sent to jail for 30 years. Um, That's going to put me in jail for a start. Um, So, yeah, I mean, everything is looking like, uh, as we put it today in a report we just just put out, or or a commentary, I should say, on our our website, on the International Crisis Group website. Um, These are the last flickers of democracy, and uh, the opposition is girding itself for what could be um, clandestinity, exile, jail for many political leaders. Um, just finally with you, is, is there any particular solution in sight, as far as you can tell, it, to restore democracy, to offer some semblance of people power? Well, um, our reports, Crisis Group's reports over a number of years now, I was just reading one that we've put out as long ago as 2011, um, have said, suggested that the This is very, very hard to fix internally because uh, the situation is so polarized and there are no honest brokers left in the country. Everybody's everybody's taken a position. The government, of course, retains the the support of the armed forces, has the control of the the all-important oil industry, the source of almost all the dollars that come into the country. This is something that's going to require international mediation, and there are belatedly some moves on the part of the international community to isolate the regime by, by not recognizing the validity, the legitimacy of the constituent assembly and to form some kind of contact group, group of friends that will try to pressure the government into negotiating. But right now it's looking pretty grim. Well, thank you again. Good to have you speak with us today. Thank you very much for the invitation. Phil Gunso, senior analyst at the International Crisis Group, speaking to us from the Venezuelan capital. We can now turn to the United States with Professor George Chichiriello Mayer out of Drexel University's Department of Politics in Philadelphia, author of two books on Venezuela, most recently, Building the Commune, Radical Democracy in Venezuela. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I mean, perhaps just we can start with a very brief history lesson here because it's not like um, this uh, is particularly new when we think of radical politics in Venezuela with the Hugo Chavez era gone by. What, what's so different now? Well, we, we need to understand Chavismo as a historic phenomenon, as a, you know, a really incredibly important uh, attempt to, uh, you know, to bring uh, 
everyday Venezuelans, in particular poor Venezuelans, into political life. Um, you know, we know the story about increasing social welfare, providing social benefits, but it's also a question of, of the, what's called the popular protagonism of the poor. Um, and it emerges out of a moment of crisis, a moment of downturn in the prices of oil like we're seeing today, in which uh, a government in the 1980s tried to impose neoliberal austerity on the population, and the population refused and rebelled and resisted. And this explosion in 1989, the Caracaso, gave rise to the phenomenon that we know today is Chavismo, which is an attempt to build something different, think different, move beyond oil dependency, move beyond capitalism, um, and to really, uh, you know, try to build a different kind of society. Yes, so I was looking at the uh, American media on this, and I, I, I've seen all sorts of claims about failed socialism in Venezuela, uh, about uh, the, the situation being so dire that it can be likened to a dictatorship, uh, but not only that, that it's effectively an organized gang running government trying to cling to power and that there are a number of high-profile officials stealing money from the state at the expense of the people. Is that an oversimplification or does that cut to the heart of the matter? I think it's very much an oversimplification, but to be honest, the situation is incredibly dire. There are huge amounts of, uh, you know, corruption, absolutely. It's an oversimplification to say that that's public sector corruption when it's, uh, you know, it's very much private sector uh, corruption uh, as well. Uh, it's far from a dictatorship in the sense that we've seen in Venezuela more elections in the past 15, you know, years than you've seen really anywhere else on earth. And until very recently, Chavismo was winning all of those elections, um, and these elections continue. The opposition, of course, won the National Assembly in 2015, and dictatorships don't tend to lose elections. Um, and so we're, we're talking about something much more complicated. However, the opposition has been calling this a dictatorship again for 15 years, um, and it, of course, has not been. Uh, and so we need to be a little more nuanced. We need to think a little more clearly about what's going on. We need to understand that there is a crisis that both sides are, you know, are trying to, to, you know, to establish power. The opposition wants to take power. Chavismo wants to maintain power. And neither has put forward really good um, or effective solutions to the, the fundamental question, which is this question of the economic crisis. Yeah, we, we know that uh, President Maduro is, has accused the United States, as well as Venezuela's business elite, of trying to destabilize the government there. Uh, again, to quote the New York Post here, the U.S. needs to use every economic and diplomatic lever to undermine the regime and build an international coalition against it. This under the title Venezuela, a nation devoured by socialism in an opinion piece published on August 1st. Um, again, com coming back to you on this, d do you feel that is the answer to, to try to squeeze them out of existence, the regime there? Oh, of course not. To start with that title, you know, the, the problem in Venezuela, I've said this before, is not too much socialism. I, would, I believe it's too little socialism. What you actually see is not a socialist country. Uh, anyone who says it's a socialist country is actually misunderstanding it entirely. It's a country very much governed by capitalism, in which the government is nevertheless trying to introduce elements of socialism. But to do so within capitalism means that you're punished economically. If you set price controls, you're punished by the private sector, you're punished by global capital and smuggling and, you know, attempts to subvert those price controls are the are the results um, and you're seeing this clash between systems play out every day and it's becoming very very uh, acute in terms of what the international community can or should do the first thing I think to understand is that the United States is threatening sanctions but the you know the Trump administration has uh, essentially zero uh, you know legitimacy when it comes to making any kind of moral judgment of the, of the Venezuelan government um, and I think as a result um, you know 
it, it's good for for Maduro for any U.S. government to criticize him, but especially the Trump, uh, you know, administration because it makes him look like an, an anti-imperialist, which he you know, certainly is on, on you know on some level. And so, uh, but just to say that the any any attempt at sanctions will backfire. Um, it will not have the effect that you know that that Trump and others think that it will have. And but even more broadly speaking, the attempt to build some kind of international coalition is done in a context in which very few people are you know are really understanding the facts on the ground and what it would mean to engage in a serious negotiation between the government and the opposition, which is not an easy matter, especially since it doesn't necessarily yield economic solutions. What about the role of, of regional powers? We, we know about Mercosur because Venezuela had been a full member of this bloc, uh, but was suspended in December of 2016. You've still got Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay as full members. Do they have a particularly powerful role in in this as well? Uh, unfortunately, these are all so uh, riven by the same ideological divisions that it's very complicated. Uh, you know, one of the projects of Chavismo was to establish and to develop and deepen regional relationships, and it was very successful. It allowed Latin America to come together, to get out from under the thumb of the IMF and the World Bank, and to establish a, a sort of range of autonomy. But as soon as the shift began to move, you know, in Latin America from left to right, with different governments falling to, to right-wing, uh, you know, governments either through elections or through quasi-coups, as, as in Paraguay or in Brazil, um, now you have a situation in which, of course, Venezuela is being excluded from a body in which it played a major role before. Um, and so such, you know, polarization and ideological, you know, explicit ideological motivations prevent these institutions from playing any kind of significant role. The OAS um, is hugely politicized. And, you know, the, the, the head of the OAS um, has, has become such a partisan in this that there's no way for them to play a role mediating. Uh, even Mercosur has become very polarized. And so it's difficult to see outside of the Vatican and other institutions what kind of global institutions could play any kind of role. But again, like, the, the bigger question is what, what does negotiation mean um, if, you know, if the question is really uh, heavily an economic one, a question of what kind of measures need to be taken to stabilize the economy to stabilize the quality of life of everyday Venezuelans. Again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us today. Also fascinating to get your insight. Thanks for having me. Professor George Gerriello Maya out of Drexel University, author of two books on the subject of Venezuela. It's obviously far more complex than some of the simple descriptions that we're seeing in in headlines uh, and and again if there are comparisons to be drawn with north korea if not on the political system it's this blanket call for sanctions as uh, some sort of solution but is that the way forward powder sharp 1013 for 51 per message you can still weigh in on north korea too and any of our subjects this morning